0: Um, over the next few weeks until we go on holiday in, in July, I'm going to be talking about transforming grace. So, so far this year, we've, we've laid a foundation of grace in our life that we receive through faith and, the, and, and, and understanding that we are new creations, we're new creatures in Christ. We're not who we were before we were born again. And, and, that, and that we need to start living from that new person and not from our old person who just just exactly like the world, but the new person looks like Christ. And so having done all that, what I want to do or what God's put on my heart to do is to move on and say, how do we apply that? How does God change a life from, from uh, wherever we started to wherever he he, he wants us to be in, in terms of who is created, is that new creation. How does God change your life? because he didn't you see the thing about Jesus he didn 't die just so that one day we get to heaven and our sins are forgiven now. He died so that we could have relationship with him right here right now, and we could change and do what he did yeah. and and the reason you know I thought this was a fantastic conference is. I don't know about you, but I've got fed up of going to conferences where people tell you about how good they are. And this is the first conference I've been to in a lot of years where I actually came away thinking, I can do that. I can do it. Not the guy on the stage can do it. Not the guy on the stage can pay for me and I can receive something from God. But I can do what they're talking about. I can walk like Christ walked. I can walk like the disciples walked. And we need a bit of that, you know, in us, that we can do it. It's not, you see, if, if all that happens in faith life for the next five years is people come and they sit and they listen to me and think, Let's, let Mark do it, then we failed. Because my job is to equip you to do it. And for you to believe you can do it. And for you to believe who you are. Yeah. And so that, that's part of this transforming change that Christ wants to make in us. But the, the second thing is that, and, and why it relates to this, is that what, what happened this week is that I had a little bit of an accident. And it, you, do, you don't realise what a crisis it is to, to have an accident like this in the modern world until it actually happens to you. But I, I, I went to PET and I went to the toilet and I put my phone on a shelf and the shelf flipped. Claps and flip my phone straight down the loo. <laughs> now that might, not, you might think, oh, tragic, what a shame. But when you think that my sermons for the next 10 weeks were on that phone and haven't been backed up to iCloud, then I have a crisis. Okay, but what God had been putting on my heart and I'd been working on, sort of, and I was thinking, well, you know, something he's been talking to me about, and I was thinking, well, maybe towards the end of the L-P, now becomes real, because what he'd he'd had me looking at for the last two or three weeks was grace for difficult times, how to win the battle, how to win the battle, standing in the battle and getting the victory, not just as individuals, but as a body as well. So that's what I'm going to be talking about right through August. So I just thought I need to give you a heads up where we're going. So this, this morning is the last in the Roman series. Everybody goes, oh... But the first in a new series called Transforming Grace, so it'll be on the web twice. So if you want to listen to it twice, you can. Well, three times if you listen to it this morning as well. But but that's where we're going. So uh, turn with me to Romans chapter thirteen, and you know I'll just make a few statements, and to remind us where we've got to that. What we've discovered is that the law, keeping rules, trying harder, doing everything by your own effort and trying to please God by your own goodness and your own worthiness doesn't work. You know, the law just didn't, all, all it manages to do is point out your faults. And all religion manages to do is point out your faults so you'll try harder. But Jesus didn't come to give his religion, he came to give his relationship. And because of that, what he did is he didn't just provide forgiveness for our sins, but he provided something that transforms us. He gave us a new heart. He gave us a new spirit that is one with his spirit, that contains all we need to change, to to be transformed, and all we need for life and godliness. That's what 1 Peter says. All we need for life and... Sorry, 2 Peter says. All we need for life and godliness. Now... Why is that important? Well, what we've discovered here is that our heart has one primary characteristic, and that is the love of God. So, inside of us, in our spirit, we are wall to wall Holy Ghost. And because we are wall to wall Holy Ghost, we are wall to wall love. Yeah. Romans 5 5 says that the 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 Holy Spirit has shed the love uh, of God abroad in our hearts. We have the love of God inside of us. And and because of that, there's there's a different flow, a different force of life that lives within us. Now, most Christians never access that at all, or very little. And the reason they don't access it is because they are converts and not disciples. You know, at the conference we've been at this week, people kept saying, well, we can't get this teaching at home. We've travelled hundreds of miles to come to this conference. We're living off this because when we go back to our churches, they're not teaching it. And you're thinking, like, this is replicated amongst 3,000 people who are not hearing the truth of grace and faith and the finished work of the cross and that they are new creations and they can do what the disciples did. And that is tragic that we are, that, that churches up and down the land, whether they're super charismatic, ceaseless, sensitive or traditional, are not representing and teaching the truth of the gospel. And because of that, we have Christians who are stuck and can't, can't get access change in their life because they don't know what they have inside them. And when you don't know what you have inside you, you live according to what's outside you. When you don't know what's inside you, you live according to the circumstances and what life throws at you and how you can cope with them on your own. But when you know what you've got inside you, you can live from what's inside you to change what is outside you, to change the circumstances outside you, to, to know when the enemy's at work and defeat him. But if you don't know it, you become a victim of whatever the enemy throws and whatever life throws at you. Yeah. And, and the really sad thing is that so many Christians are still victims of life. We, 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 we don't understand that, that being a convert just leaves us still a victim if we don't know what the effect of that conversion was and start to use it. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And so we have love inside us. And, you know, one or two people, they've come to me over the course of this series and they said, well, you know, if, we, if, we, if we're really saved, then surely we need to be better. We need to try harder. You know, the, the, the people need to, to know and, and see what, 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 what's happened. So we need to be better people and try harder. And yes, we do. You all thought I was going to say, no, you don't. (laughs) But yes, you do have to be better because you are better. You're a new creation. So the world sees we are better because we are better when we start living from the better in us. No, I can't say that again. But we are better because we have Christ's love in us now, where before we only had our measly effort at loving people. Now we've got Christ in us and he can love people through us. When our love runs out and when our willpower runs out and when we don't like them. That's That's a good one. Jesus can carry on loving people through you when you don't like the person. And you don't like what the enemy's doing to your life through that person, but you can carry on loving. You know, one of the things that will come out, that God's been showing me about this whole thing of winning the battle and and, and recognising what the enemy is doing through people, is is this, he said, it's just really simple. And I'm I still getting my head around it, which is why it's not getting preached till August rather than now, is this, he said, when the enemy throws something at you, respond 180 degrees the opposite of the way he wants you to respond to it. And that's how you win the battle. When when something comes at you, you respond the opposite of what the enemy wants you to do. Because there's no truth in him. Do you get that? Good, because you've got four weeks of that to remember of August, so you're all right. And if you're on holiday in August, you've got it now to think about. How many of you were around when Nathan was around a few weeks ago? Nathan Taylor. He he has this little catchphrase or line. It's more than a catchphrase, but his Instagram account is actually called this. It's, love people always. And that is simple, and yet it's profound. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbour has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, that's any other commandment at all. How many of you remember how many commandments there are in the Bible? 613. If you've got 10, you've got a limited view. There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. So any other commandment, any one of the other, well, that's minus 5, any of no, the other 608 are included in that. So if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in saying you shall love your neighbours yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbour. Love is therefore the fulfilment of the law. Now that might, that might sound interesting, but actually that is one of Paul's most radical statements. And if we get our head around that, we'll understand how we live and how to see the kingdom manifest more fully in our life. You see, Paul's already said that the law doesn't do you any good. And he, and he said you, you, get, you get set free because you are no, long, no longer under grace. Uh, so no longer under law, but under <coughs> grace. Um, Romans 10, chapter 4, uh, verse 4 says... Um, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So we don't live by the law. We don't live by trying to make ourselves better. And we don't live by trying to keep a set of rules that, that constrain us. We, we live under a completely different system. And then Paul comes and he says, and love fulfills the law. Okay, so what, what's he saying? Let, let me just take you to Galatians 5 as well, just so you can see this in... In another context, because it's something that Paul keeps repeating right through his letters. Galatians 5, verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word by the statement, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. So the question is, do you... As Christians, as born and bred believers, do we just have to love people or is there more to it? Because Paul's saying there isn't any more to it. And yet most of us think there's more to it. And most of us behave like there's more to it. And so we lose our focus on loving people and start trying to do things. We start trying to build great successful churches or great successful missions or ministries or whatever or we try to do this and try to do that and we'll pay you know we we go like I'm not making any progress so instead of paying 3 hours I'll pay 4 hours and oh it's not fast enough I'll pay 5 hours now and we're always trying to sort ourselves out and yet what paul is saying is your focus isn't that your focus is love and if you if you learn to walk in love it'll sort everything else out. That's really radical. I don't know if that's dawned on you how radical that is. If you choose to walk in love, it'll sort everything else out. Now, I want you to see something here, because what he doesn't say, is it's sometimes really helpful to see what it doesn't say. This doesn't say, keeping the law fulfills love. It says, love is the fulfilment of the law. Keeping the law doesn't fulfil love. You can keep the law and be really unloving. You can be a fantastic religious Christian and be really unloving. Keeping the law isn't love. But love fulfils the law. Or completes the law. Or brings an end to the law that word fulfill we think of fulfill is like filling up we've met the requirements of. it's not that it's it's love puts an end to it's a termination of it's fulfilled and ended so what does it mean it means that for a born again believer all the requirements of trying to be right with god by keeping rules and by our own effort and our own worthiness are subsumed in something we can now do which we couldn't do before we were born again and that is to love in the way God loves. You see, love is bigger, wider, deeper, longer, richer and more enduring than anything religion can come up with in any set of rules you can invent. Because any set of rules you can invent will be limited. You know, one of the things that I discovered about tax law is that every time there was a new set of laws came out, people like me, in my, when I was a tax lawyer, a tax practitioner, I would find loopholes in them. And that's what we do with the law. That's what we do with the requirements. We're always trying to find loopholes to make it easier for us to satisfy God. We, the, the law makes us work at the, the absolute minimum you see we don't have to keep ten commandments we have to keep 613 if we want to do the law and if we break it in any one part we've broken the law so what we tend to do is rationalise it all and have a few favourites that we can do and not bother about the rest we, we, we bring it down to a minimum whereas law does, love doesn't let you do that you either love or you don't Love isn't like, you can't 70% love. You, you either love or you don't love. And, and so love is much bigger than anything that you can come up with and try and, and, and use to, to sort of uh, change people's behaviour. Let me explain it to you like this, just because I mean, made those statements, I now need to, to show you why it's true. Because whenever I say things like this, somebody, somebody will come back and go, well, you know, but you don't know what that person's done to me. You don't know how difficult this situation is. You don't know what I'm going through. You're right, I don't, but God does. And he doesn't change his principles according to what we're going through. His principles change what we are going through. <laughs> That's how it works. And so, let me, let me as we in kindness month. Um guess who I picked? Cheryl. 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 Je- Jess was wishing it was her, but it wasn't. <laughs> so, so, it was Cheryl. Although, I did make Jess a nice cup of tea this morning, and, and she didn't say it was like dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. So, love is bigger than law, all right? Let me, let me explain this to you. So, I love Cheryl. This year, we have been married 30 years. Yay. Yay. And, and we dated for seven years before that. We did. So we did. 37 we did. years this woman has had to put up with me. <laughs> but I love her. Okay? So because I love Cheryl, I don't commit adultery. The reason I don't commit adultery is not because there is a rule saying don't commit adultery. It never even enters my head to commit adultery. I don't need a rule to tell me that I shouldn't commit adultery because I love Cheryl. Therefore, I don't commit adultery. I fulfill the law, and it's much better than that. Do you get that? So let me, let me how can I put it? Let me, let me put it the other way around. And, and so let's, let me flip it. And then you can see what the difference is. Cheryl, I love you. And to prove I love you, I've researched all the rules about adultery. And, and I'm pretty sure that most of the time, I manage to keep them. And to be honest, apart from the girl in Sainsbury's, I haven't looked at anybody for any length of time all week. Well... There was the problem the week before that. But anyway, I, most of the time, generally, I'm keeping those rules. So that poos. I love you, doesn't it? Would you be impressed if that was what love reduced to? But when we reduce it to that, we get, we, that's law. But I don't love Cheryl because of law or by law, I just love her. And it's like how we live. You see, I'm kind. I know I'm kind because in the fruit of my spirit is kindness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So I don't steal. Why don't I steal? It's not because there's a rule saying don't steal. It's because I'm kind. I never think of stealing because I actually want to give. Do you see what the difference is? Love is bigger than law. Yeah. That's, we, we don't live from a place of trying to fulfill things. We live from a place of being the love that Christ put in us, being the kindness that he put in us. And that's just, it's just incredibly different. And that's, what, that's who we are. You go on like, well, it doesn't feel like who I am. That's why we're doing the kindness challenge. You see, feelings aren't accurate. The truth is accurate. That's why we abide in God's word, because God's word is accurate. And when we act according to God's word, it engages the flow of our spirit and the feelings follow. The feelings come on later. Sometimes we have to do things we don't feel like doing, because God's word Says that's who we are. So we do them and eventually we feel like doing them. That's the point of the kindness challenge. And 30 days we'll feel like being kind, whereas maybe at the moment we don't feel like and being entirely kind to the person that we've chosen. Although I because I love Cheryl, I always want to be kind to Cheryl. <laughs> that should get me out of that one. <laughs> it's me that needs working on them. Right. So you have a particular type of love in you. So we're not talking about the way the world loves. You see, the way the world loves these days ends up in divorce, and it ends up in broken families, and it ends up in people stabbing each other in the back to get on. That's the way the world loves. That's what the Bible calls, and and there's a Greek word for it, phileo love, which is, I love you because you're nice to me. So as long as we're nice to each other, we'll love each other because we've got common ground. We, 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 you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That we'll call that love. And as long as you're meeting all my needs, I'll love you. That's why marriages fall apart, because they're on that basis. And the minute you stop meeting their needs and they're not meeting your needs, then you've got a problem because if that's where you're going for, You see, God calls for a different type of love. It's called Agape. And that love has two characteristics, which we might not think... This is the challenge for this morning, you know, we, we might because we might go, well, they're amazing, like great characteristics, but this is actually the love you have in you. First characteristic is this, that it's unconditional. It's not like filet or love, it's unconditional love. And I'm astonished, you know, I, I put these... Facebook posts up and I'll put up like about how God loves you unconditionally and people will say, no, he doesn't. <laughs> and you wouldn't believe the vehemence of the responses that I get saying that God doesn't love unconditionally. It's entirely conditional. And I'm going, oh. <laughs> So, John 3.16, God loves so loved the world that he gave his only son so that he might might per- not yeah. perish but have eternal life. Um. Romans 5.8, have I got that on the slides? I've, I'm not going according to my notes, but you probably spotted that. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love. God demonstrates his agape towards us that we are, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When did Christ die for you and when did God demonstrate his agape love? When you were a sinner and you didn't want him. That doesn't sound conditional in any way whatsoever to me. Christ died on a cross not knowing whether even one person would turn to him. He died because he was willing to take the risk that people would believe in him because of the love he'd shown them. God moves first. Agape love moves first. It doesn't have conditions. The only condition attaching to it is will you believe it? To me, that's not a condition. It's just a way we receive. And that's really good news because what you have in you doesn't exhaust like your natural love. You're still able to love people when they don't deserve it. You know, there are people who don't deserve to be loved by you for what they've done to you. Let's, let's talk straight. There are people who don't deserve to be loved by you, and yet you can love them because what you've got inside you is unconditional. The second thing is it doesn't run out. Jesus, God's love is immeasurable. And you go, well, of course it is. It's God. That was an easy leap for you to make. But actually, in practice, we don't really believe that because we don't show it in our lives by the way we behave as believers. We don't believe God's love is immeasurable. Because our thought process goes a bit like this. I know God's God and he has love. Okay? I know God's God and he has love. What's the problem with that? He doesn't have love. God doesn't have love. You see, if I have something, I can measure it. Okay, so if I have love, I might, Nicky, well, let me, let me put it in a different context. If I have water, I might be able to give Nicky a bottle of water. Uh, but, but Paul, who, who is particularly deserving, he gets a bucket full And Cheryl, because I love her, gets a tanker full of water. Because I have water. And I can dish it out in different quantities. And it's the same with I have love. I can love Cheryl with my tanker load of love, but somebody else, I might only give them a bottle full of love. Right? But God doesn't have love, He is love. And because he is love and he is immeasurable, his love is immeasurable. Yeah. So we sit there in our Christian life wondering how much God loves me and does he still love me because I've done this and does he still love me because I've done that or does maybe he'd love me more if I did more of that or maybe he'd come through for me if I did more of this or maybe he'd answer more of my prayers if I did more of this. And it's the wrong basis because he, he isn't that person. He is love. So all your trying and efforts to please him, to get him to do something, to get him to answer your prayers, it's a waste of time. Because he hasn't moved one iota in the amount he loves you. Because he can't. Because he is. And whatever the limits you take his love to, you can't get to the end of them. Because he is love. And so we receive by faith. You know, one of the biggest effects of sin is it screws us up. It destroys our life. It makes us feel God doesn't love us. It makes us feel there's a barrier between us and God. It hardens our hearts towards him. But he hasn't moved. He hasn't moved for 2,000 years since he died on the cross and did everything we need for life and godliness and provided everything we need because he loved us first when we didn't deserve it. Are Are you getting this? That is the love you have inside of you. Some of you still sat there and you're going, I'm sure that love's conditional. I'm sure it's conditional. I'm sure it depends on what I do. And, and what I don't do. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 13. You see, the value system of the, the kingdom isn't based on a legal scorecard. And it's not based on an effort-based scorecard. And that's why we get confused, because we, we're used to scorecards. We're used to exam marks, we used to the way things are rated. But the kingdom doesn't work on a scorecard at all. And that's a bit mind-bending for most of us. Because it's based on love. And it's based on grace. Christ is love. Christ's spirit is in me. And I am in Christ. Therefore, I exist in a place of love. That's the truth. It might not be the reality of how I experience life and how I live. But the truth is that that, the Bible tells me that's who I am. And so being a disciple, I sit and abide in God's word until that becomes a reality in my life. You see, let let me read this famous passage. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels but do not love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I've got the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, how many people here have got all faith? Okay? None of us. But if you had, if you had perfect faith and everything you prayed for happened because you have 100% faith through everything, so you can move mountains. How many of you have moved mountains? No, but this is possible. Jesus said that's actually possible. (laughs) But if you move mountains, but you haven't got love, what are you? Not, not what have you, but what are you? Nothing. Because the whole scorecard is love. The only thing that God is interested in is how much we love. Because he is love. And so we go on to verse 4. Uh, Three, if I give all my possessions to feed the people, you give everything away. And if I deliver my body, you get burnt at the stake as a martyr. But you don't have love, it profited you nothing. You see, you can do the most outrageously extreme religious things. And if love didn't motivate you, in God's eyes, it counted for nothing. So that when you get to heaven, that gets burnt up. Only what you did from love, the love that Christ has put in you, remains. Only love remains. I know it says faith, hope and love remain. These three remain. But the greatest is love because the other two attach to it. Let me show you the unconditional bit. Love is patient. Love is kind. So agape, what you have, is patient. Agape is kind. And we're going to prove that to ourselves in the next 30 days. We are going to become kind because that's who we are. We're going to get beyond our flesh to our spirit. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It does not seek itself. It's not self-centered. It's not provoked. It takes no account of wrong-suffered sometimes they say, it it, it keeps no account of wrongs. If something keeps no account of wrongs, there is no condition. Agape love keeps no account of wrongs. It's unconditional. It's not based on what you have done because it keeps no account of wrongs. If God is love and he's saying this is what the love is, that's who he is. He keeps no account of wrongs. He doesn't impute what you've done. It doesn't get in the way of how much he loves you. It gets in the way of how much you love him, and that's serious. But it doesn't get in the way of how much he loves you. Because he's not keeping a record. It rejoices with the truth. So it does not rejoice in righteousness. Rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And love never fails. Let me read you to that again. God is patient. God is kind. God's not jealous. God doesn't brag. He's not arrogant. God doesn't act unbecomingly. He doesn't seek his own. He's not provoked. He doesn't take account of a wrong suffered by him from others. He does not rejoice in unrighteousness. He rejoices with the truth. He bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. And God's love never fails; it never stops. It's immeasurable. That is what is in you, yeah. and that is awesome, isn't it? Yeah. I'll finish with this. We went to uh, see a film years back called *The Passion of the Christ*. How many of you seen it? Mel Gibson, *Passion of the Christ*. quite extraordinary film. In, it is just it is just unrelentingly brutal. It's just like shocking. That's why it's got an 18 rating. Some of you are nodding you've seen it you're under 18. <laughs> I don't think that's the issue. I think it, it's the level of violence in it that gave it the 18 rating. And uh, Sean and I went to see it and we we watched it and When the film finished, this is the only film that this has ever happened, that I've been to, is that nobody left. Actually, nobody even got up at the end of the film. They they just sat there. And you know, like, people just can't be bothered with the credits, they're just like, there. And you just like think, this is... And Cheryl turned to me and she said, how could he have done any more? How could he have suffered any more? But the truth is that people were stunned by what they saw, but actually he did a lot more than that. And, and people were, they were just literally stunned, like just in shock. But the truth is what Christ went through for us was much more than that. You know, you could still see the features of this guy at the end of the film. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus' face was so brutalised that he was unrecognisable even as a human. That he took sin into his body. That he took all your sicknesses into his body. Literally. He bore them. It was much worse than that. One thing they can't show you in that film is what it's like to have God's wrath poured down on you and God turn his back on you when you've never known anything different. You don't get the emotional agony, the mental agony of what that's like. So it was much worse. God couldn't have done any more to prove his love to you. Because if you were the only person on the planet, Jesus would still have done that for you. And he did it taking the risk that you might never choose to believe in him. That's just incredible love. The thing is, we have to choose to abide in that love. We have to choose to live in his word. When it says abide in his word, it's... What we're looking at there is what it tells us about who God is and what it tells us about who he's made us now Mm -hmm. and living it. It's not talking about keeping a set of rules because they're irrelevant to us. They're much smaller than love. We don't want to be messing around with that stuff. We want to mess around (laughs) with knowing who God is and who he made us to be. And that's available to anyone. And it's not available to anyone on the basis of who they are, what they've done, how talented they are, or what their history is. It's available to anyone, period. See, I don't know if any of you see my Facebook post, but I usually put a hashtag underneath that says Simple Gospel. This gospel's really simple. Jesus loves you, period. <coughs> Give his love away, period. That's it. But that, that's it. We receive it on the basis of belief. All the rest is padding. The gospel is about love. Christ's love for you. And when you believe it, you can love like him. So live it. You see, and I'll finish with this statement. Some of you have heard it lots of times. But God didn't save you And tell you to try harder. That's the gospel that most people hear. That's the gospel that most of the world sees from Christians. God didn't save us and tell us to try harder. He changed us and told us to live it. That's the gospel. He changed us and told us to live it. Because grace changes everything when we believe it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.